on this edition of the Iowa Business Report. Some people were chose to retire. Some people who were working a job and a half are now only working a job. What trends are in place as the last half of 2022 begins? We'll talk with an investment strategist about it. A grant program helps nonprofits work with girls to support their growth into women leaders. And in our business profile, you'll hear about an Iowa-based marketing and technology collective using their broad skill set to help clients. This is the Iowa Business Report for the third weekend of June 2022. The Iowa Business Report is a copyrighted production of Totally Iowa Media, which is solely responsible for its content. For more, click on the radio programs button at totallyiowa.com. Here is Jeff Stein. As the U.S. recovers post-COVID, it now faces inflation that has not been seen in two generations, plus a shortage of workers, adding to supply chain difficulties. It's a challenging climate. Scott Kuby is a senior investment strategist for Carson Group Partners. He was a keynote speaker at this past week's annual conference of the Iowa Association of Business and Industry, held in Dubuque. Scott Kuby and I talked Wednesday after his conference presentation. What are the things that when you talk to people in business, what are the things that concern them the most as we enter the second half of 2022? I think a few factors. The biggest is really supply chains right now and the costs that are associated with getting supplies. So inflation is part of that overall equation, but just the ability to produce the goods that meet the demand of the customers that they now have. And that has been a real challenge as we've seen a lot of interruptions in supply chains, but also some uncertainty about how their pricing is going to be affected by inflationary environments where certain goods and prices are going up a lot more. And business models were, you know, we really had a really long period period of very low inflation and that in turn caused people to be more confident and make longer term forecasts. One of the downsides that inflation has on businesses is that it makes life uncertain. So high inflation isn't just high, it's also volatile. We don't know which goods are going to go up a lot, we don't know which goods are going to go down a lot, and therefore that makes profit margins harder, it makes long-term contracts harder to organize, it just makes business more difficult and I think that's probably the things that we're seeing. One other aspect, too, is this part of that supply chain is labor. They just are having trouble filling all the jobs that they would like to fill. And so when you think of labor as part of that supply chain, it's really that overall stream. Demand is really, really high. But if you're a commercial on the radio for a trucking firm, they aren't trying to get more business. They're trying to get more drivers. And that's a really good indication of where the overall economic situation is. And that is something that we had issues with getting a proper workforce. The pandemic seemed to only put a brighter spotlight on it. And again, it's just escalating. Yeah, and I think one of the things as we step back, you know, the pandemic gave us, fortunately or unfortunately, a great opportunity to step back and reevaluate our lives. And a lot of people have de-emphasized the importance of work relative to where it was before. That might mean some people were chose to retire. Some people who were working a job and a half are now only working a job. And it may be that certain teenagers who would have been great staff at that local restaurant with the really long lines have decided 
decided, you know, on balance, that work experience of working in a restaurant for a little bit of extra spending money isn't quite worth it. So we can all see gradual step backs in our overall engagement in lots of different ways. I think that's one of the indications of it. Yeah, so labor was tight before, but it's even got tighter now, but not so, not only is demand higher for it, but also we've seen the supply step back, and that's really created a lot of the wage inflation that we've experienced recently. As the cost of living continues to go up, producer price index at 11, consumer price index at 8.5, etc., I wonder how many of these people who are saying, well, it's not really worth it for me to work are going to find themselves having to show up, even if it is a job that is twice minimum wage, which that used to be a pretty good job for a young person. It did. That's probably more likely to be seen on the older uh, workers who maybe some who did retire, bouncing back and working for a while in order to right-size that. I think that's a reasonable response and hopefully something we've seen because we actually need those people to get back into the economy at today's wages so that they don't have, people don't have to keep paying more and more and more for them. And so I think you will see some inflationary pressure cause some supply bounce back, partly from need, but the other more likely response, and this is where it gets more damaging and potentially risky from a recession standpoint, is people just may cut back their spending. I've just been on a tour of four or five different states here with uh, today in Dubuque to be one of my last stops before heading home, and it's expensive to travel. So if I don't make that trip, and a lot of us choose to step back and not make those trips, then you get uh, where you have started a greater risk of recession simply because uh, consumer spending is falling. I think one of the responses to we're seeing, and this is where COVID starts to shape the economy, is we've all not gone anywhere. And so right now, that travel budget is in great shape. Even, even if gas prices are twice what they were, I can see, you know, we can still afford those because we didn't go anywhere for two or three years. But that might start to change in the near after and the year after. And so that's where you get some of the impact of the COVID and inflation starting to create greater uncertainty in 2023 than we're seeing right now, which is a fairly strong economy in 2022. The problem is it's a little bit too strong. And how do you back off that without causing a recession? That's really what the Fed's wrestling with and a lot of people are wrestling with right now. Others have said to me that it's fine for the Fed to take action, whether it's a half or three quarters of a basis point, et cetera, but the cause of the inflation, the supply chain issues, et cetera, are things that the Fed usually cannot have an impact on. So how much of the change in interest rates that they may want to do, how much of that is actually going to meet some of these concerns, like workforce, for example? It doesn't help workforce other than the fact that it reduces the demand for the workforce. So I can't get enough people. The Fed can't help with that. But the Fed has some decree by raising interest rates to determine how many people you actually need. And so since they can't affect the supply situation, but they are not going to tolerate inflation continuing to stay at these levels. And therefore, they're using the tools that they have, which are, as you mentioned, primarily demand-related tools. We're going to reduce the demand for loans. We're going to reduce overall economic activity in order to tamp that down to get inflation under control. So even with the supply problems, the Fed has to use some of the tools that they have. I will say also that one of the things that will start to help cause inflation to start to decline is that we are very unlikely to get additional major fiscal stimulus. You know, think about all those different COVID support bills that we have. My view is, is that the last one and maybe even the one before that, the last one probably wasn't necessary and the one before that was probably too large. And therefore that shot a lot of money 
out in the economy, which has pushed up demand, and that has a tail for it. It wasn't all spent immediately. And so that decline as well, because it's been a long time since we've had that stimulus, and given the overall political situation right now, and some odds that divided government will likely be coming in November, with the Republicans taking either over at least either the House or the Senate, that's what the polls would say is very likely at this time. I don't think you're going to see near as much support from the fiscal side, and so that too should start to reduce some of the demand. But either way, the Fed has to do the tools, the tools that it has to fill its mandate of maximizing employment and keeping inflation under control. Not one or the other. The issue with supply challenges, we may end up at a worse spot than we did before. In other words, before inflation, we were struggling to get it to 2%, and unemployment was really, really low. It may turn out that we end up with 2.5% on inflation or 3 and we maybe have an employment that's up in the 4s or the 5s, and that may be as good as the economy can do given the labor supply challenges. Is there an optimal level? If you look at a macro level, 10, 15, 20 years, is there an optimal level of where inflation should be and where the unemployment rate should be so that you do have healthy churn in the workforce? So the central banks of the world have almost universally agreed that 2% is the ideal inflation level, and it's stunning how amazingly they've all aligned around that. The reason they want some inflation is because they do actually want the ability for the economy to adjust. So, oh, I don't have to take a pay cut in order to to be a little bit less costly. And so there are advantages to that. The other reason they like 2% is because there are tools for lowering inflation. It may not seem this at the time. The tools for lowering inflation are actually much stronger and more predictable than their ability to raise it. So the ability to say, oh, inflation's at one, let's get it to two, that's really hard to do. Whereas inflation's at six, we need to get it down to three. They have the tools to do that. It may not be friendly and not be, may not be painless, but they have those tools. And so they like to err a little bit on their side of caution on that. That ideal level changes about the inflation and unemployment trade-off, and it changes somewhat based on the overall supply of labor, but also the types of jobs that are required and the amount of training to do it. So right now we're in a situation where there are two jobs available for every unemployed person. Oh, well, the, how come all the people that are unemployed don't take half of them? Well, the reason is they don't have the proper training. They may be looking for a someone who's a very skilled machinist to take a job, and that person uh, may be uh, not trained in, on how to do that, or they may be an economics major like I was and totally incapable of operating a machine because we, we had too much book learning and not enough machine technique. And so there's all sorts of mismatches that are available within those. And when you have more mismatches in the economy, that's a challenge. One last point on that to think about that's sort of outside, we always think about U.S., 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 and we should because the U.S. is primarily a service economy and a lot of the manufacturing takes place here. But we have seen higher tariffs. We've seen also higher wages in China and other areas. And so eventually that drives up the overall cost of goods in the U.S. as well and causes some challenges. And because we moved from an area of moving towards greater and greater openness on trade to moving back from that, we're likely seeing some multiplicative effects of that in this inflationary environment that are contributing to higher inflation than we would have seen without that back off. And so trade policy is another way of saying, how big is my labor pool? Does it include only people in Iowa? Does it only include people in the United States? Or does it also include people in northern Mexico and China and how many of those and at what cost trade off? And so inflation, while we'd like to have more jobs here in the U.S., that may also have some impact on the overall levels of cost that we're experiencing. 
from the investment side, uh, I think one of the areas that we've seen that have been very weak have been international markets. But part of the reason they've been weak is their system has not been as resilient as the American system has been. And so trading off to see whether they, that's something I'm always looking for, if they start making changes to their system, that might allow those companies in those areas to start to bounce back. But we haven't seen that yet, and so that's not a call we're willing to make at this time. Scott Kuby is a senior investment strategist for Carson Group Partners. We spoke in Dubuque this past Wednesday. Still to come, girls with goals. And we'll profile a business that blends common ownership with diverse skills and strategies. You're listening to the Iowa Business Report. Where can expanding businesses find certified shovel-ready sites, the lowest water and sewer rates in Iowa, and excellent incentives for new construction? Why in Waterloo, of course. Eight industrial and business parks, including the new Air and Rail Park, make Waterloo the smart choice for growing companies. With advanced additive manufacturing and smart automation programs on the TechWork campus, Waterloo is building a skilled workforce ready for hire. I'm Mayor Quentin Hart, inviting you to Waterloo. Come for a visit, stay for the great quality of life. Look us up at cityofwaterlooiowa.com. The Iowa Business Report is presented by Advance Iowa, leading successful business, innovation, growth, and transitions. Search for Advance Iowa on LinkedIn and Facebook and get more at advanceiowa.com. Women Lead Change, a global organization based in Cedar Rapids, is accepting applications for its annual Girls with Goals program. They're seeking proposals from qualifying nonprofit organizations across the state. Those groups that have missions to ensure girls in grades kindergarten through eighth have an opportunity to gain critical skills to support their growth as women leaders. That includes inspiring girls to recognize their inner strength, celebrating individual one-of-a-kind characteristics, sparking the interest and confidence in girls to pursue studies and careers in traditionally male-dominated fields, and ways to empower girls of all ages through mentorship. Application is through the Greater Cedar Rapids Community Foundation, and all materials are due by July 1st. For more information, go to the GCRCF website or the Women Lead Change site at WLCGlobal.org. Coming up, an integrated communication approach. You're listening to the Iowa Business Report. I'm Michael Swanger, owner of Iowa History Journal. Pick up our May-June issue to read in-depth stories about Chief Keokuk, MLB scout Cy Slapnica, the second part of our radio series, Making Waves, an interview with legendary actor Barry Corbin of Urban Cowboy and Yellowstone, and learn about the proposed renovations of the Herbert Hoover Presidential Library and Museum, among other stories. Get your copy at Hy-Vee, Fairway, Barnes & Noble, Target, Walgreens, and iowahistoryjournal.com. Support for the Iowa Business Report comes from the Iowa Business Council, a nonpartisan nonprofit organization working to elevate Iowa's economy through leadership, research, and advocacy. Learn more and review the latest competitive dashboard data by going to iowabusinesscouncil.org. In our business profile, we'll introduce you to Anthologic, 
a Midwest marketing and technology collective of five firms with common ownership based in Des Moines. Alyssa Saunders is Director of Enterprise Integrations and Initiatives at Anthologic. Anthologic is a collection of marketing and technology related companies with a common ownership and partnership, shared mission, vision, and values, all focused on making customer connections and solving business problems for our clients. It helps to have everything under one umbrella because that way you have full integration. That's a concept that not enough people take advantage of. Yes, absolutely. So it's something that we solve for our clients as well when they have multiple divisions in their businesses. How do you unite things but keep things true to the field that you are representing and really be experts at your craft? So we found that by having these companies and letting them focus on their individual crafts but having shared ownership and a shared culture and values, we're really able to do what we do well at each level of our subsidiary companies. And I go back to the beginnings of what was at the time called integrated marketing communication. That's going back 35 years or so, but it was such a unique concept because you had the advertising in one place, what we called public relations in another. But with the world of social media and all of the interconnectedness, it just makes sense to have that consistency of vision and execution. Yes, absolutely. And I think that connected communication strategy that you're talking about is so important for our clients. You can't really do anything in a vacuum anymore because your business has to talk to the other side of the business. Marketing's goal and communication's goal is really to make customer connections that translate into sales and build customer loyalty for future sales. So that connected approach is very critical in being successful there. One of the things that even with all these changes still remains the same is If you service the client and they're happy, they'll not only come back, but they'll tell others. And that is something that I'm afraid we're losing unless you consciously think about it. People are so scattered these days, they lose sight of that fundamental premise. Absolutely. And I think in our business, we sell our time and our expertise. So what we have to do is make sure that we are also attracting and retaining talented individuals who want to work here and want to give our clients the best service, the best thinking and the best expertise. So it's critical for us to think about how we service our clients and put their needs first and then how we do that through the employees that we have working for us. So with regard to the businesses who are your direct clients, what has been different either in a post-COVID era or within the past 10 years? I know things were on a certain path and then everything changed and now we're still crawling out. So what are some different things about workplace and what it is that your company may do to help these companies? I think it all comes down to expectations. Expectations are very high. Demand is very high for a good expectation for both the employees that work for us and also we oftentimes talk to B2B clients and companies who are saying, how do I make these connections? Everything has changed. The game has completely changed on us. And it's because B2B expects the same user experience as B2C in today's world. So it really doesn't matter what your product is if you have a service. You have to be communicating to your client consistently. You have to show up in the right ways and you have to have a brand that makes sense. It doesn't really matter anymore who or what you're selling. It has to be that elevated experience that's very connected and holistic. So as you look at the advice you give working with clients, what are some of the challenges, either because they're not thinking in a forward way, which is understandable because it's uncharted territory, but what are some of the challenges and along with that, what are some of the good opportunities? 
I think the biggest challenge is the speed at which the landscape changes. By the time you master one thing, it has changed. And oftentimes what we see is clients are trying to outspend the problem and it's really a strategy problem. And so you have to have a strategy and then the tactics have to follow your strategy. And it's very easy and tempting to have tactics in search of a strategy. So what we really try to do is make sure that we aren't chasing shiny trends that we're keeping up to date, but maintaining that balance. And when you do that, you have an opportunity to be very smart, to really have a clear message, and to really make yourself known in a crowded space in your clients' minds. The shiny objects are much easier. The tactics are real easy. And there are some who will go to a business and say, let me help you with your advertising in this phone book, or uh, let me help you with your advertising here. And it's all disconnected. Strategizing is the difficult you have to sit down and focus kind of thing. Hard to get people who are kind of focused on getting today's work done perhaps to sit down and actually make that reasonable plan. Yes, it is a challenge and oftentimes it's something that we're able to solve by taking a phased approach. So it's a big bite to have somebody who has a lot of responsibility, a lot of goals and a lot of things that they have to get done in a short amount of time to sit down and take a whole day out of their day and come up with a strategy. So what we like to do is phase that. So there's some quick wins that we can do to get some things going in the immediate future so you start to see those results and that's very tactically driven of course. But then building in that strategy as you go so you're learning from what's going well and building a long-term strategy while you're seeing immediate results is kind of the answer there. It's a balance I guess best thing for you about what you do now in working with these folks? Making those connections to clients and really having that aha moment of brands understanding that their story is what matters to their clients. Even in industries where you wouldn't think that people care about it, they do care about it. They want to know who you are. They want to know who they're doing business with. And when you see a company start to really embrace that, that's when you know things really start to happen for them and they get a lot of momentum. And it's just a very cool thing for us to be able to watch and then support for our clients. Alyssa Saunders of Anthologic, based in Des Moines. We spoke in Dubuque this past Wednesday, shortly before her presentation at the Iowa Association of Business and Industry Conference. More about the companies online at anthologic.com. And that brings us to the close of this week's program. We're back again next week at this same time. In the meantime, you can listen to all or part of today's program by going to totallyiowa.com and clicking on the radio programs link. We're also found on all the major podcast distributors, 19 now in all. The Iowa Business Report is presented by Advance Iowa, leading successful business, innovation, growth, and transitions. Search for Advance Iowa on LinkedIn and Facebook and get more at AdvanceIowa.com. We welcome your comments. Send them by email to radio at totallyiowa.com. I'm Jeff Stein. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you have a prosperous week. The Iowa Business Report is a copyrighted production of Totally Iowa Media, which is solely responsible for its content. For more, click on the radio programs button at totallyiowa.com.